Judas, the book of Jude, second last book in your Bible, uh, Judas, and we're going to read verse 14 and 15 this morning. Jude, verse 14 and 15. And die thema is Henoch's prophecy oor false profete en die wederkoms. Enoch's prophecy on false prophets and the second coming. Let's pray. Jemelse Vader, ons bid het eers verblief ons verstand stil maak, uh, many things swarming in our minds, busy weeks, anxieties, uh, maybe joys, concerns, and all die dinge, dalk probleme ook, dat jy ons net die vrede van God geef, wat alle verstand te boven gaan. Give us the ability to take in the word, open our hearts by the spirit, to have some grasp, some understanding of the truth of scripture, and would you transform our lives, sanctify us in your truth, your word is truth. Maak ons heilig, Heere. In Jesus' naam. Amen. Now, over the Christmas season, uh, I don't know what you felt like, but, but Christmas time, it's a, it's a joyous time, it's a time of feasting, a time of uh, celebration because of what God has done for us. But there's one thing about Christmas that I like, but... It mustn't be too much. And that is when, what happened at least during this Christmas season, when you have people for dinner at your house and you go to other people's houses for lunch and for supper and a month of that, a month of that, I just can't handle it with meat and roast potatoes and meat and three kinds of vegetables, and meat, and different kinds of salads, and meat, and garlic bread, and meat, and pop-tart, and, <laughs> and meat, and ice cream, and meat, and baked pudding, and some more meat, and some more meat, and, and coke, and uh, that just gets too much. A month of that, I uh, mean, my double, double chin, I get a double chin, <laughs> so this double chin, and the pains, and uh, even my conscience, it just weighs on me. It feels too heavy. And I said to my wife, I said, I just want wheat picks. just want spaghetti and mince. <laughs> you know, just, just something normal, something not so heavy. And sometimes it can be like that spiritually also. Spiritual level, you I mean six weeks of just the book of Jude, false teaching, false teaching, warnings against false teaching. That's important. Uh, we should be warned against false teaching, but it, it can become burdensome. Even for me, the preacher who has to prepare this every week, it can get burdensome. So I do want to ask you, uh, so we, we re we've reached verse 14 and 15 this morning, and uh, maybe two more weeks. Three more weeks and we'll be done with the book of Jude. We'll be in Romans. Uh, so, verse 14, Jude. Judas, verse 14. 
It was also about these, these meaning these false teachers, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they've committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against God. So, number one, the prophecy is wahr. The prophecy is true. That's point number one. That's in verse 14a, just the first line of verse 14. Now, once in a blue moon, I meet someone who asks and who wonders, why is the book of Enoch, because there's a book called Enoch, the book of Enoch, why is the book of Enoch not in the Bible? Because it's not part of our Bibles, in case someone doesn't know. Why is it not part of the Word of God? Uh, well, in the early church, let's say in the first three centuries AD, some of the early church fathers, those preachers in the early church, they said they believed that Enoch is part of the Word of God. It's inspired, like Romans and like Revelation and like what other books we have in our Bibles. Now today, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, they have got the book of Enoch in their Bibles. Um, and then the Mormons, the Mormona, and then some very right-wing Afrikaners believe that the book of Enoch is inspired. So why don't we believe the book of Enoch? Why is it not in Scripture? Well, that's one side. Then you had another group in the early church, they said, well, Jude quotes from the book of Enoch. That's, that's what I just read in verse 14 and 15. That's from uh, 1 Enoch 1 verse 9. So, so they said, well, Jude quotes the book of Enoch, and Enoch is not inspired, it's not part of the word of God, so then we shouldn't accept Jude either. So that was another group. Now, I don't know of anyone today who believes that, that says Jude is not part of the Bible. Uh, I'm sure you'll find some weirdo somewhere who says that the book of Jude is not part of Scripture. Then there was a third group. This third group in the early church, they said Jude should be in the Bible, but Enoch shouldn't. So the book Enoch is not part of the Bible. And that's what we believe. We believe Jude is part of Scripture, but Enoch is not. Uh, so what does it then mean? What does it that that Jude quotes 1 Enoch 1 verse 9. How should we understand that? Well, in the first place, we should say this. There really was such a person as Enoch. Nee, dit weet ons. Meeste van ons weet het. Dat so'n persoon bestaan. Jy lees van hom Genesis 5. Jy lees van hom hier. Jy lees van hom in Hebreus 11. Uh, so the Bible does speak about Enoch. Uh, Enoch was the seventh generation from Adam. Seventh geslacht. And it says so in verse 14. Uh, it is also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam. This now is your Adam insluit en Enoch insluit. En jy tel van Adam tot Enoch is al sewe geslacht. En dit lees jy, gaan lees Genesis 5. Jy kan het self tel, dit is daar. So that's, uh, that we know for a fact. 
And then we also know from Genesis 5, Enoch pleased God. And Hebrews 11, verse 5, Enoch pleased God. And Enoch, what else is interesting and important about Enoch? Enoch didn't die, right, like Elijah. So it's one of two people in the whole Bible, in the whole of history, that we know that didn't die. They went to heaven from earth. Another thing we know, and we should say that's important to understand, is that book of Enoch, there's eigenlijk five books of Enoch, but Jude quotes from one Enoch, in Enoch. That book wasn't written by Enoch. Uh, it was written between the 3rd century BC, or 300, yeah, 3rd century BC, and the 1st century AD. It is in 200 years before Christus, and 100 years before Christus, is Enoch geschreven. Door verschillende mensen. So it's not here Enoch geschreven. So we, as Christians, we don't believe that Enoch is the Word of God, that that book is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is some important, uh, as if it was some important prophet that wrote the book. And then also important to know, the Apostle Paul, three different occasions, Paul quotes books that aren't in the Bible. I only did he geschrifte aan van anemens. In Titus chapter 1 verse 12, he quotes a Cretan poet, he did um, what's a poet? A dichter. A dichter wat op die eiland Creta gebleid. His name was uh, Epimenides, of iets in the island. I don't know if it's right uitspreek. So Paul quotes him, he even says, one of their own poets said. And then in Acts 17, 28, he quotes that same poet. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, uh, he, uh, he quotes Menander. Nee, wat nog een schrijver in die tijd was, wat nie een bybelschrijver was. So Paulus haal buiten bybelse bronne aan. When Paul does that, he doesn't mean we believe that this poet is inspired by the Spirit and it's part of the Word of God. All Paul does is he says, this guy said something and it's right. That's true. Nee, net soos as ek nou in my preek boek uit die geschiedenis aanhaal. Ek bedoel nie, dis die bybel nie. I'm just quoting history to say this is true, this is what happened. And that's the way Paul does it, and that's exactly the way Jude does it. When he here nog aan. Hy sê net, hier daar iets gesê, en wat hy gesê het is waar. Ek sê nie, alles wat hy geskryf het is die Bijbel nie. Maar op die punt, dis waar. Dis rarig so, en dit was die profesie wat hier nog gegeen. What Jude doesn't do, Jude doesn't say what all New Testament writers do when they quote the Old Testament. It is written. Or, the scripture says. I say nie, die woord sê, die skrif sê, daar staan geskrywen. So hy aanvaard het nie as die woord van God, wanneer hy nou hier vir Jenoch, hy gebruik hier die formule, wanneer hy uit 1 Jenoch 1 vers 9 uit aanhaal. So, all Jude does is he says, I believe that prophecy is true, that Enoch gave, but I don't believe the whole book of Enoch is the inspired word of God. Now, the prophecy starts like this, in verse 14. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. Now, what, what Jude does here, he, he says he comes with ten thousand. Uh, die overtaling sê, hy het gekom. Nee, is het recht, met ten duisende. Uh, 
That's, that's a correct translation, because the Greek is a past tense. So hy het gekom met 10.000. Ek sê, maar wacht een bykie, Judas praat dan van die wederkomst. Hoe kan hy nou sê, hy het gekom? There's something interesting in theology. We call it a prophetic past tense, or a prophetic past. A prophetic past means, for instance, Isaiah 53, where it prophesies the death of Jesus Christ. But this prophecy is given 700 years before Jesus comes. And he says, he was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Past tense. So all that they're doing, he uses a past tense to say, that is how certain it is. It will happen. I'm going to put it in the past tense. To say, as if it's already happened. Nee. So this is a prophetic verledertheid wat gebruik. And this is what he doen. Om te say, die wederkomst is so seker, ek gaan het in verledertheid sê. That's all Jude does here. Now, Enoch's prophecy, there is an immediate fulfillment. Want as it say here in verse uh, 15, uh, that God, die Godeloose, die Godeloose, die Godeloose, God is going to judge these ungodly people. When Jude repeats that, and he quotes Enoch, Enoch was really prophesying firstly about the flood. Because the flood was a judgment on the ungodly, on the whole world. And now the flood becomes a picture a, a fuller fulfillment, a fuller fulfilling ephon of the final judgment, when God again will judge the whole earth. Now, nie soos met die vloed, dat hy nou met water gedoen, en die einde gaan hy met vier doen, sê Petrus, en Petrus self, in 2 Petrus 3, Jesus self, in Matthäus 24, trek een lijn tussen die vloed en die finale oordeel by die wederkomst. Just as in the days of Noah, so it will be when Jesus Christ returns. Okay, so this is what Judas he saw then. Now, Let's get to application. How do we apply just this first part of verse 14 to ourselves? Here's something interesting. Right. If, you, if you're daydreaming, I need your attention here. Enoch, it tells us in verse 7, was the seventh generation from Adam. But that is through the line of Seth. Nee, want Adam het paar baieseens gehad. Het Akain en Abel gehad, Cain, Abel, Seth. And then Genesis 5 says, he had many other sons and daughters. Wie die meeste kinders hier? Reks. Reks? Ok, ja, 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 jy het nou kinders en boeties en sissies. My broer, hulle is hier vandag, hulle het vijf kinders. Ok, weet nie, is iemand hier wat meer kinders het? Hier vandag? Ok, so hulle het vijf kinders. En hulle oudste kind is tien. Hoeveel kinders kan jy in 830 jaar? Of in 930 jaar? <laughs> okay, so Adam and Eve had many children. Many, 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 many children. Uh, Enoch is the seventh generation through the line of Seth. So it is Adam, Seth, and then so on to pay the Through Cain, dear Cain, Adam, Cain, and then seven generations, you get a man called Lamech. Lamech. Not the Lamech, but in Noah's family. Annelay. Is daar Lamech in Genesis 4, Genesis 4. And that Lamech, living the same time as Enoch, he was a murderer, in Genesis 4 sê hy het een moord gepleeg, he was a polygamist, nee, veel weiwerei, meer as een vrou gehad, so sexually, sexually immoral, and, and they didn't worship God, because Genesis 4 ends, when it says, and when Seth's son was born, people began then to call on the name of the Lord. To begin met die Heere Okay, so the point I'm trying to make here is Enoch, when he was on earth, he lived in a 
godless generation. Ungodly, wicked, evil, sinful. That's the kind of generation he lives in. His great-grandson, what was Enoch's great-grandson's name? And the whole world was wicked. Noah. Noah. Noah was the only man in his generation who served God in the whole world. So you know, play in this type of omgeving, then it's no wonder that he gave this prophecy. God will bring judgment upon the ungodly because the whole world is wicked and evil and ungodly. So the point I'm trying to get across to you by way of application is you live in a ungodly in an ungodly culture in an ungodly society in an ungodly country in an ungodly marriage maybe in an ungodly school maybe an ungodly family family of gesin an ungodly workplace it's possible to be godly dis moontlik om toegewy te wees aan die Here in so 'n slegte wêreld like Enoch was and like Noah was so you you shouldn't you shouldn't choose to be in an ungodly surrounding uh, but if you are forced and you can't help it that's where you are yes in school this for your work and your wens for better omstandighede that's the marriage or family and it's you wish for better circumstances but you can't change it well, then you shouldn't say, I can't help to sin. I can't help sinning. I can't help being disobedient to God. If you were in my shoes, you would have done the same. If you were in my situation. No, 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 no. It's not your circumstances that causes you to sin. It's your heart. Jesus said that from the heart. It's not from the outside that the evil comes into you. It's from the inside that the evil comes out of you, Jesus said evil thoughts and sinful actions and words and so on. So the problem really, if, if that's you, is you're not committed to God. You're not as devoted as you should be. So what you should do is confess your sin and come to God. Repent of your sin. Draai weg van die sonde. Erkend it. And ask God's help. God help me. Help me to, to obey you. Vraag die Heere sy hulp om toegeweid te wees. Jylle kan ook kies stil sit hiervoor. And that can only happen if if you live in a relationship with Jesus Christ, constant prayer, gedierig met die Heere praat en gebed, make certain that you do not only study the Bible and read the Bible, but that you obey the Bible. That you obey what God tells you. And on a regular basis, meet with other believers to worship God. It's belangrijk hierdie, om saam te kom. Gereeld in toewijding aan die Heere. Now, if you are truly saved, if you're really a Christian, you'll know what I'm talking about. You will have the desire. You want to be holy. And what do you do when you're not holy? When you're not obedient, when you sin? Oh, you sigh. You sigh. Why do I do that? I want to love Jesus more. Why? And, and, and you sigh and you're frustrated when you don't get it right and you ask for more help. Nee, reg, het is so. Elke christen, jy het een begeerte. Jy wil die Heere meer vir jy. Number two. The prophecy is frightening. 
die profesie skrik wekken. That's verse 14b and 15. What do I mean when I say, on Black Friday, there were thousands of people in the shops of South Africa? Do I mean a thousand? Two thousand? No, thousands, thousands is an expression. Nee, dit is een uitdrukking wat ons bedoel, it's more than you can count. En in die Bijbel was er ook so getal gewees, and that was the, the, the number 10,000 in the Bible. When they, say, when they say somewhere in the Bible, when it says 10,000, then it means too much to count. It's just an expression. It doesn't mean only 40,000 or 10,000 or 20,000. And it's in, ons, uh, in verse, 15, uh, verse 14, the end. Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones. Nee. Um, en dis het bedoel word daar. Nou, who are the holy ones? When Jesus comes, he comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. Wie is die heilige stel? Well, go back to verse 3. At the end of verse 3. It speaks about this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Saints is heiliges. Die Afrikaans sê dit ook so. Die heiliges. Het praat van die geloviges. When Jesus comes, every Christian who dies goes to heaven. He's with Christ. His body is in the grave, but his soul is with Jesus. And when Jesus returns, those ten thousands, all those Christians, will come back with Jesus to the earth. Um, and 1 Thessalonians 3.13, 1 Thessalonians 4.14 says that. But then also these ten thousands, holy, ten thousands of these holy ones, not only Christians, it refers to someone else. Or something else. Wie is nog die heiliges? Tienduisende wat saam met Jesus kan kom. The angels. Ten thousands. Nee, en dit lees ons in verskye tekste. Deuteronomy 33 verse 2. Psalm 68, 18. Speaks of these ten thousands. And it's referring to angels. Uh, Revelation 5, 11. Ten thousands of angels. En hulle kom dan saam met Jesus. And we see that Matthew 25 verse 31 says, When Jesus comes with the glory of His Father... And all his angels. Or 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7. When Jesus comes in flaming fire. With his holy ones. With his angels. And that will be a frightening picture to behold. When you see Christ coming in flaming fire. With the glory of his father. And these, these holy ones. These uh, saints. Christians and angels. To judge the ungodly, as verse 15 says. Now, according to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2 and 3, the Bible teaches that Christians, us, we will help Christ in the judgment. It says, you will judge the world. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3. You will judge angels. And angels not referring to holy angels, but fallen angels. And then obviously the angels themselves, why do they come with Christ? They come because they are the ones, they are the, the prison wardens. Because Matthew 13 tells us in verse 41, 42, 49 and 50, Christ will give angels his command to cast the wicked into hell. So the engel is sold on die mense in die eeuwige hel gooi. And then in verse 15, did you note what word in verse 15 is repeated. It, it's, four, it's there four times. What have you seen here four times in verse 15? Huh? 
Okay, nog iets anders. Ungodly, 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 ungodly. Godeloos. So these ungodly people, it's to emphasize. And who are these ungodly people? Verse 4. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people. Who are these ungodly people? Verse 18. They said to you, meaning the apostles said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. These are the false teachers he's talking about. Now, obviously, we can apply to any unbeliever, to anyone who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's speaking about false teachers in the context. Um, now, ungodly. What does it mean to be ungodly? Well, if you go to 1 Timothy, uh, Rolf read 1 Timothy 3 this morning. If you read 1 Timothy 1 verse 9, it speaks about ungodly people and it describes them. Speaks of them as those people who break God's law, who live in lifting their fists to heaven, living in defiance. They break his law. It refers to people who worship money and sex and um, their addictions and other people's opinions, people pleasing. Uh, it refers to people who makes idols. They make idols of anything. They, they reject the word of God. They set up their own religion. It refers to people who, who, who move the Bible aside. And they worship God as they want, as they choose, and not as God tells them. It refers to people who curse God with their lips and their lives. Their lives. You can curse God with your life. Blaspheme Him. Because you don't... You call yourself by God's name a Christian, but you don't live as one. It refers to people who, who, who refuse to gather with other believers, to worship God. It refers to people who are disrespectful to their parents, who are disobedient, children who are disobedient to their parents. It refers to people who hate others, who, who tear down other people, who, who, who murder others, even if they're unborn. It refers to people who have no respect for God's sacred institution of marriage. They don't care about marriage. They, they live in immorality. They lustful. They, they, they live in lust and in sexual immorality of every kind. It refers to people who are dishonest, people who steal, people who lie, people who break their promises, people who, who are greedy and materialistic and and jealous if others have what they don't have and so on. Those were the Ten Commandments that I just went through and applied it. Those are ungodly people. And God will judge, verse 15 says, to execute judgment on all. All. God would, and then he qualifies what he means. All these ungodly people. God will judge all of these ungodly people. Not one of them will escape. Not one. God's law will shut them up. This is Romans 3 verse 19 said. The wet sal in the monde to stop. They don't have a leg to stand on in God's court. They can't defend themselves in any way and say, but it's not true. Not one of them will be able to say to God, that's not fair. They, all of them will acknowledge that is exactly what I deserve, even when they hate God in saying that. Selfs al hatle God te wil hulle sê, dis reg verder. 
but they will acknowledge that is justice. God is a just judge. Not one of them will be able to say, my punishment is too heavy. All of them will acknowledge, this is what I deserve for my ungodliness. And these false teachers who have led these people astray, false teachers have led many people astray, and they lead them into hell like sheep to the slaughter or goats to the slaughter, those false teachers will receive a stricter judgment. And Jesus says that about the Pharisees. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus says that that slave, thy slave, the slave that knew his master's will but was disobedient, he will receive a greater punishment than the slave that didn't know his master's will and was disobedient. Nee. So, James chapter 3, verse 1. My brothers, not many of you should become teachers because those who teach will receive a stricter judgment. Okay, so it's by ernstig, it's ander op And like with any unbeliever, what's going to happen? What those, what those ungodly false teachers did and said against God, even if they did it in secret, that's going to be announced before the whole world. Jesus said that in Luke 2. In selfde met elke ander ongeloof. What they did in the dark will come to light. What they said in secret rooms behind closed doors, it's going to be announced from the rooftops. That's the judgment of God coming upon these people. So everyone will know the wicked things they said and the wicked things they did against God. Verse 15. God will execute judgment on all to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they've committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So what they said, what they do it. All right, now, for the next few minutes, how should we respond to this? How should we apply this in the Christian life, these verses? Well, first of all, don't tell yourself, please, I need your attention, don't tell yourself you're going to heaven if you're ungodly. Don't tell yourself. Don't trick yourself. Uh, don't be like a man who lived in sexual immorality and told me, but I'm not ungodly. If you live in sin, you are ungodly. You are ungodly. If you're disobedient. And until you don't realize that, I'm trying to help you, I'm not trying to condemn you. Until you don't realize that, the Lord can't forgive you. He won't forgive you. Because if you don't realize and acknowledge I'm ungodly, you're not going to come to him for forgiveness. You'll continue the way of wickedness. But if you acknowledge I'm lost, I'm lost, I'm ungodly, do you know what God does? Christ died for the ungodly. I was ungodly. Jij was Lewis. And Christ died for sinners like us. That's what Romans 5 or 6 says. Uh, Proverbs 28, 13. He who hides his sin will not prosper. But he who confesses it and forsakes it, he will obtain mercy. Because Jesus died for the ungodly. He, he died to save you from God's judgment. He died to save you from, from sin. R.C. Sproul once said at a conference, we, we say, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. What does, does Jesus save from? Jesus saves us from himself, his judgment. He saves us from sin and the judgment it deserves. 
And if you, if you believe in Jesus and you place your faith in Him, your trust in Him, God the Father will accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross on your behalf. And I reckon it on He will, he will reckon it to your account. I reckon it on you too. I sit it your book. No, your son of his book is his rechtigheid op your book. It's a real transaction. And God aanvaar you as volmaak for him. God accepts you as perfect, sinless, although you're not sinless. But Jesus' perfect righteousness is given as a free gift for those who believe in Him. Those who turn from their sin and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then through the Holy Spirit, what happens is the Holy Spirit changes you from the inside out. And He gives you the ability to be devoted like Enoch. <laughs> so now can you what Enoch was. You can be God-fearing in the midst of a godless society. Want die Heilige Geest help jou om om te vrees en om om lief te And if you think it's impossible, I want to tell you something. Have you read this in your Bible? That Enoch wasn't always a godly man? Jy moet mooi lees, Enoch het nie altyd die heren gedien. In Genesis 5, verse 21 and 22, it says these words, After Enoch was 65 years old, when his son was born, he walked with God. Na sy sien gebore is, toe wandel hy met die Heere, vir 300 jaar. What happened? Why after his son was born? What was Enoch's son's name? The oldest man in the Bible. Methuselah, of Methuselah in the overtelling, Methuselah. Methuselah means, according to some Hebrew lexicons, Hebrew dictionaries, it means man of the spear, man van die spies. But other Hebrew interpretations says, no, no, the Hebrew word Methuselah means, when he dies, it shall be sent. When he dies, what shall be sent? As jy tyd het, gaan doen as sommiekie. Vat Genesis 5, van Jenogse naam af, tot by Noach, en dan vat jy Genesis 7 vers 6, waar het sê, toe Noach 600 was, toe kom jy vloe. Do your math, gaan doen as sommiekie, and you'll see, the year that Methuselah died, the flood came. When he dies, it shall be sent. That's what his name means. So it seems, that the birth of Methuselah was a prophecy. Where God said to Enoch, Enoch, you're living in a godless society and you're not walking with me. You're not committed to me. You're not devoted to me. And he has the son, Methuselah. And the prophecy is when he dies, judgment will come. So it's as if it shakes him up. Klap on wakker. Dit skit on wakker. So for the next 300 years, Enoch walks with God. En hy sterf nie. Hy gaan dadelijk hemel toe weet ons. So, ask yourself, maybe, until this morning, maybe you're the, the most ungodly person in your family. Maybe you're the most ungodly person at your job, or in your school, 
or the most ungodly person in your circle of friends, or maybe the most ungodly person in town. Until this morning, is it possible for God to change you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, let me just give a word to Christians before I close. Maybe you're not ungodly. You're a Christian. God has saved you. You're struggling with sin, but you want to grow and love Christ more, and you do love Jesus. Uh, Then I want to warn you, be careful. Be careful of the false teachers, because if you follow their teaching, you will be ungodly. They'll, They'll lead you back. They'll lead you back. They'll lead you to backslide. Back to your old ways. This altijd wat gebeur met vals leren. Vals leren leid, leid tot godeloosheid. Soos jy sien in die verse met die vals leraars. Um, and I've said it in the series, in the, the sermons I did before this, false teaching can't counter wickedness. Kan nie. Vals leren gaan altyd leid tot godeloosheid. It leads to ungodliness. How does it happen? Well, you have two kinds of false teachers. Uh, the one kind of false teacher is the false teacher who tells you, you've got all these rules you have to obey. And if you obey these rules, then you will please God more. So it's eindelijk maar redding dier goeie werk. Do all these rules. They don't understand the law. What is the law for? Why is there a law in the Bible? It's a mirror. Stand in front of the mirror. That's the law. You see your face is dirty. You see your life is dirty when you compare yourself to God's law. You know what the false teachers want to do when they see your face is dirty? They see it in the mirror? They want to take the mirror and wash your face. The mirror won't wash your face. The mirror just shows you your face is dirty. Something else is needed to wash your face. The water of the gospel. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives him neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids him fly and gives him wings. So false teachers, they don't understand that. So they tell people, wash your face with a mirror. Instead of see your face is dirty in the mirror and wash it with water, the water of the gospel. It's really dumb to make yourself some to make yourself many extra laws. Let me make more laws for myself. And done? The more laws you have, the more you can break. <laughs> That's what your sinful nature will do. I want to say dummy. But that's not nice. <laughs> Dummy. <laughs> nee, die sondige natuur gaan dit breek as jy meer wet het. Uh, okay, that's the one group. Then you have the other group of false teachers. Those are the false teachers who uh, they, they preach a hyper grace. Uh, a cheap grace almost. And according to them, you don't, have, you don't even have to confess your sins. You don't have to really, because Jesus has already forgiven it all uh, by his death on the cross. And it's true, Jesus has already paid. But they they take it to an extreme. You washed in the fountain of, of Calvary, the fountain of the cross. You never have to look into the mirror again. Well, apparently they forget that when you walk on dusty roads in sandals, you, your feet get dirty. Although you've had a bath, you need to wash your feet. Although your sins are forgiven, you need to still say, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you. So you believe it nog steeds. So people who, who have this hyper grace, these hyper grace preachers, oh no, 
to become holy, to become like Jesus? Hey, <laughs> you can sit on the lazy boy and become holy. The spiritual lazy boy. It's a cruise. Instead of Peter saying, make every effort. No, they want to be passive. Just sit back. Let go and let God. God will do it all. I can just sit back and God will make me holy in a, in a flash. And they don't understand Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because it is God who works in you to be willing. To willing to work, work according to his good pleasure. So God will give you the ability. God will give you... But God is not going to be obedient for you. God is not going to repent of sin for you. You have to do that. So what happens in the end with these hyper-grace preachers, in the end people fall into, into just a sinful lifestyle. Losbandigheid. Ongehoorzaamheid. And then apparently, you don't have to feel guilty even if you live an immoral lifestyle. According to them. They use their freedom as a cover-up for evil. So, do you want to be holy like Enoch? Do you want to be committed to Jesus? To love Christ? To obey Him like Enoch did? Well then, on the one side, side don't be legalistic. On the other side, don't throw the law out of the window. And say, Ons is vry, ons hoef nie te werk om gehoorzaam te wees. So in the first place, make sure you are born again. Because if you're born again, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you and He will help you to be, to be devoted, to be committed. And then you should fill your mind with the Bible, with the Word of God. And ask God's help, ask the Spirit's help to, to obey what you learn in Scripture. And then submit yourself to the Holy Spirit as He leads you into all the truth. And then say, No! No! Near! Say no to ungodliness. Say no to the ungodliness of these false teachers in the world. Flee from the world. Flee from the world. Because if you stay with them, you will be judged with them. And be ready for the second coming of Christ so that you are not caught red-handed. That you are not caught red-handed in a life of ungodliness in what you think and what you say and what you look at and what you live and what you listen to and what you plan. So, so don't be like someone who really feels ashamed when the guests arrive at his house. I speak his like he didn't quite clean up his house. Rather be like someone who, oh yes, I knew the guests were coming. I cleaned up my house last night. Let's pray.